The following podcast may contain explicit language. Listener discretion advised. Welcome to The Little London Show, your favorite podcast for all your favorite things. Recorded in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Enjoy the show. Welcome to The Little London Show. This is Darcy. And usually right now you would hear Jeff introducing himself, but he is not in today. And we really wanted to do this show. And so I called in a special co-host, my friend Jason. Jason is here with us. Hi, Jason. Hello. Hello, everyone. And Jason is a podcaster, community member, Colorado Springs resident. Tell us a little about yourself so everyone knows who's here with me today. Yes. So I am not Jeff. I hope that's <laughs> not disappointing right off the bat. Everyone's yeah, crying. <laughs> I am a, a professional coach and I have been on the show as a guest. Mm. And now it's kind of cool to be on, on the other side of the seat. Um, and I have my own podcast called Cross Street Coaching as well, where we dive into what makes successful people successful, how they support others and how they support themselves. And it's an honor to be here with you, Darcy. Thanks so much for inviting me to tag along in shotgun on the Little London Show shuttle. Yeah. Call this ride? <laughs> I don't, we don't have any idea. We've never okay. known what this ride is. Oh. All five years of doing the podcast, we've never known what this is. <laughs> um, but that is actually a good reason I invited you on is we're going to talk about a couple. Uh, we're going to talk to a couple people from our community that have been doing some really cool things. And we want you to ask all kinds of good questions. So let's introduce them. Uh, we have Matt and Lauren here with us. Hi, guys. Hey. Hi. <laughs> Do you guys want to? Yeah, of course. Do you guys want to introduce yourselves a bit? Um, Lauren's been on the show before. She actually Hi, might be ranking up there as like one of the guests that we've brought on the most um, and always from a very different perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so in, yeah. Lauren, go ahead and tell us why. Why are you with us today? Well, I hope you aren't sick of me yet. But, Never. Um, I'm Lauren Hug. I'm the founder of Hugsby Consulting, which specializes in community engagement and even more now advocacy. So I've worked on a lot of projects in the community that um, have either moved an issue forward, like funding for District 11, um, was involved as a co-chair of the media subcommittee for the census, complete count committee. So I do a lot of things around town, which is why I get to talk to Darcy and Jeff a lot. Um, but I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So you came on, you talked about education, you talked about the census, and today we're talking about restaurants, bars, and breweries. So we're really rounding out like, <laughs> the community here. Be afraid to see our punch card. Yeah. <laughs> um, Matt, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, I'm Matthew Schnipper. I'm the food and drink editor at the Colorado Springs Independent. Uh, I've been there about <clears throat> 15 years. I was formerly the head editor and formerly the arts editor and other titles over the years. And uh, now I'm back to food and drink guy exclusively. So that's my beat that I can really focus on again. And I love it. And I love our food and drink community here. All the brewers, bartenders, roasters, um, restaurateurs, chefs, everybody. Uh, it's really an honor to be able to cover what they do and uh, be part of the scene in the, in the way I am, which is weird. It's on the other side now, like um, critical. I, I, I was in the industry for 10 years before I got into writing about the industry. So um, this was my former lifestyle. <laughs> so anyway, it's, I'm glad to still be a part of it somehow. I don't think I knew that. So before you became a food and drink writer and critic, you were in 
involved in the oh, industry. Yeah. What did you when do? Was, Where were you? Um, my, my second job when I was 15 years old, you can work at age 15 in Alabama. That's a thing. Um, I, uh, I started at Piggly Wiggly as a bag boy <laughs> on the grocery side. So I was in the food and drink all along, I guess I should say. <laughs> um, but I, uh, jumped over to a restaurant, uh, and became a, a busser and then a food runner. And then I expedited and I eventually got back in the kitchen and worked pantry and then saute and then wood oven and learned the whole back grill area. Um, and then I came off to college and then I at some point got back in and worked at a brewery and waited tables again. And um, eventually I managed and then I hopped to another restaurant. And so I did a lot of roles over 10 years um, and enough to say I never wanted to own one. <laughs> my hat's off to these people because it's really hard work yeah. and especially financially uncertain as we're seeing. So, um, so yeah, I, I feel like having 10 years in the industry really informs how I approach my work because I don't just take pot shots without knowing what it's like. Like mm. I've worked really long hours. I got paid at the time minimum wage was six and a quarter. I mean, I've, you know, I, I, I worked really hard and, and made very little money and know what that's like. Um, and then I also, uh, you know, waited tables and made pretty good money for a, a short shift. So I know what it's like between front of the house and back of the house and some of the challenges. Um, but, uh, so yeah, I haven't done every, everything. So I still respect a lot of the stuff, uh, that happens day to day in our restaurants and bars just to get, the, you know, the job done, the doors open and keep everything going. Um, but, uh, yeah, which is why we're so concerned right now and what we'll get into when we talk about this page, um, because you know this is a this is a really rough life, <laughs> as far as an industry goes. That some of these folks lead. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't think it's a secret right now. What we're looking at when it comes to the pandemic and different regulations and parameters that are coming out. Our restaurants, our bars, our breweries, our roasteries, all of the places where people gather. This is extremely challenging time. And it is, uh, it seems to me, and I'm not in the industry, I'm just watching from the outside, but it seems to me that things are changing incredibly quickly. And while we can praise some level of agility, we are getting to the point where it, it, agility is not enough. Like it, it wasn't just a matter of changing direction slightly back in March. It is now months of constant need to try and figure out what you're doing with your business. Yeah. That's well said. Um, Lauren, you mentioned kind of moving into an advocacy phase with what you do. What has that looked like and how has that influenced what you're trying to do to help uh, some of the local restaurants and stuff that need help right now? So I think, you know, one of the things that we've... <sighs> As a society, we've we've prioritized things like objectivity and neutrality um, in our legal systems, in our um, journalism. Matthew can talk to that um, <laughs> it, from a different perspective. And I think we're now at a time when we need to be more um, unobjective in a lot of ways and say, no, like this is our community. We want to support our community. Um, so specifically with the restaurants and things like that, um, what we what I feel like we saw starting in March is is a non-economic reaction to businesses that we love being threatened. Hmm. So instead of saying, here's the market value of the meal that you provide, I will pay for that. We're like, look, how much do you want us to tip? What do you want us to do? How hmm. many things do you need us to do to help you stay alive? That's not typical um, market economics, right? That's something else. That's human interaction. That's human care. Um, it doesn't make any sense from a pure economic perspective for us to pay more than it's worth, other than to maybe keep it open longer. Um, so being able to, to say, 
listen, how can we tell your story? What ways can we help? Not everybody has money to come do this. What else can they do? And I've been saying to businesses from the beginning of the pandemic, not just our restaurants, small businesses, tell our community what you need from us so that Mm. you're here on the other side of this because we want you to be here. And not everybody loves every business, right? We all have our favorites, um, but there are enough of us out there who love enough of these businesses that if we are willing to be part of this as a community effort, um, a lot more of our businesses are gonna come in places where we don't have that kind of community-centric approach. And it's one of the things that I um, noticed about Colorado Springs when I was looking at moving here and that I've seen ever since I've gotten here, um, we are really good in crisis most of the time. We might not be great every day, but we come together when we need to, when there are fires and there are floods and there are pandemics now, um, we really do go out of our way to try to make sure that our neighbors, our friends and our local businesses are supported. So it was just a way of how do we how do we aggregate that? Like, how do we get that word out across the board? And um, we will make a pitch for people to join this Facebook group because the more people that are there, the more people are seeing what the restaurants are doing and what they need and how they can help. For people who aren't familiar with the the Facebook page, did you want to shout it out? Yes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, Laura and I kind of came up with this idea one night on a neighborhood walk early on in the pandemic, I guess. Uh, actually, it was a couple days before the very first shutdown and we were getting some early whispers that it was going to happen. So um, we created this Facebook uh, community group called Culinary Distancing. Um, so obviously we were playing off the social distancing idea with the name and it kind of took off. Um, and rather quickly, we started getting a lot of, of followers um, and people just jumped right on board. And the mission that we stated was essentially, um, there should be a place to, to support them in this tough time. Um, this could be a place for the restaurants to post specials that they've created such as family meals or things they weren't doing before and let folks know hey, you may have come here for a pint and a plate before, but now you can order this whole to-go casserole or whatever. Um, So on one hand, it was for them to message to our followers. On the other hand, it was um, really about us sharing pictures and stories about food and drink we were eating. So if we went out and had something we enjoyed, we took a picture of it just like I would for the newspaper. Um, Instead of writing a little blurb up for the paper, come back and write a couple sentences like, hey, I just had this really awesome donut over here, you know, check it out. Um, And people started doing that really well also, and, and everyone started sharing their favorites and where they were going. And then, um, and Lauren can tell a couple of these stories too, but we, we've started seeing people use it to ask each other questions. I mean, what are a few of the examples we... I mean, just most recently we saw somebody say, I'm gonna be alone on Thanksgiving. Can anybody recommend restaurants that are serving smaller sized portions? And I think at least at least two, maybe three people jumped in and said, I would love to drop a plate off for you hmm. um, of what I'm making with my own meal. Um, you know, early on, there were neighborhoods asking food trucks, how many meals do you need to sell for it to be worth it for you to come out to our neighborhood so that we can support you? Um, somebody organized a, a couple of meals in their neighborhood that they ordered in bulk from a restaurant so the restaurant could manage their inventory. Hmm. Um, like th- things, people were coming up <laughs> with stuff that um, I don't think if we had sat down with the whiteboard and tried to come up with it, we could have come up with it ourselves, right? I mean, it's the power of crowdsourcing, really. Um, More ideas at the table makes it um, more vibrant. And really, I mean, just to follow up on what Matthew said, it was a place to connect 
um, our eaters and our drinkers with the people who provide those things in our community. And we've been clear from the beginning. Well, we actually, we had some, some conversations early on about what kind of content um, was going to be welcome, but, but we've settled on, this is a place to love on our community. Hmm. Um, there is enough negative and bad and hard out there right now. Um, this is that place. So this is the place to talk about what you love about restaurants. If you didn't love it, you can put that other places. <laughs> and that created some controversy with some folks, especially with things like safety regulations and all that stuff, which I fully understand. Um, if you if you um, are need to make sure that you're at a place with safety regulations and, and certain restaurants maybe weren't following them, especially early on when no one really knew what they were. It, yes, you need that information and that's totally valid, but it wasn't the place where we were going to have those kinds of conversations because um, it, it, I mean, it was just for, for the restaurants, they were, like you pointed out, Darcy, it was every couple of days yeah. the regulations were changing. Um, and, and you couldn't get PPE, right? Like early on, the rule was, you know, once they did settle up the rules on masks and things like gloves and whatever, I mean, there weren't any to be found. So right. you couldn't even really do it. So it, it's been an interesting journey and we're seeing it now spike again because of the new regulations that are going into place today. Yeah, we had about, um, we're now at around, I think last check, like 7,800 members or something. And it's been active throughout the summer. Um, people just kept using it and, and kept um, sharing things with each other. Uh, but we just saw a spike again in, in traffic and activity around the, the shutdown that starts today at five o'clock. Because this is, this is that thing everyone worried that was coming it was this, this next wave, this next round that's gonna take some people out. You know, a lot of people made it through summer. They got PPE money to pay payroll and, and take care of um, most of the bills. They got some utility breaks. Some, some of them worked out things with their landlords, but now a lot of those things are exhausted. There's no stimulus that's been passed federally. Um, there's no PPE money on the table anymore. And um, some of the some some of the employees who might have been laid off before, possibly job attached, um, may have run through their unemployment benefit already. Um, so I mean, we're in a worse situation now with what's about to happen. Starting today, we know several groups, several places have posted on our page to say, hey, we're out, we're gonna close as of Friday. Um, and they haven't announced when they're coming back because they don't know when the regulation is gonna change either, no one does. So this isn't just like, hey, we're gonna shut down for a week or two. This is basically, we're out until, until further notice, which sometimes, some, it's possible some of those won't come back at all. Um, we're just gonna have to, to track that, but um, we, you know, it's a really concerning time to, about what, for what's about to happen. And I think Darcy, you mentioned you might have some fresh data from that you pulled on that from whether it's the Restaurant Association. Um, but uh, yeah, what did you what did you see in that? I, I haven't checked in about a week or so. Yeah. So uh, as everyone's listening to this, we're recording Friday, November 27th. So the Friday after Thanksgiving, that is today is the day new regulations go into effect for our area. That's really kind of either shutting down or really straining how many people can be in a space and what things look like. So it's a whole nother round, like Matt said. The National Restaurant Association just did a survey um, that has come up with some really kind of sad uh, and terrible numbers. They're expecting that one out of six restaurants that were open in March will have closed for good by the end of this year. And that represents almost 100,000 restaurants uh, across the country. Um, that report shows that nearly 3 million employees are still out of work across the country. And the industry as a whole is projected to lose 240 40 billion dollars in sales 
by the end of the year. Um, they go into some different, their report goes into some different major metropolitan areas. Like uh, in New York City, they're expecting even half of the restaurants to go out of business there. Um, so it's not, I'm, I mean, this is, these are horrible numbers in so many ways. They're horrible numbers because they affect people's livelihoods. I mean, this, everything you've put into your business, your small business, or even your multiple businesses. There was one article I read recently where a family that owned, I think it was six or seven restaurants in an area is down to one. They've closed all but one of them. Um, and so it's livelihoods of people that have invested everything. It's livelihoods of the people that are working. And this is an economic industry. I mean, we as a town rely on sales tax and income and all of these things that are associated with industries like this. And so the the ripple effect is more um, far reaching than even these numbers represent as horrible as they are, right? Um, I want to talk a little bit about this group. Jason, you mentioned that you're part of the culinary distancing group on Facebook. What have you seen as a user? So not in the back, like Matt and Lauren trying to navigate all this and make these decisions, but what have you seen as a user? Yeah, I think it was really cool as it was coming together, as everyone was isolating. And what was happening is that there was just so much information overload. It was really hard to get kind of a clear picture of what's going on, especially as everyone's kind of isolating and knowing that a lot of the places we loved were in jeopardy and then seeing the community kind of come together and pool their resources and say, we're going to go here or here's what's happening. And I thought that was really, really kind of fun to be a part of as obviously uh, neither my waist or my wallet can sustain eating out, <laughs> you know, four to five times per week, but to feel like there's nothing I can do, but I can be a part of my community. And if I'm going to spend my dollars, I'm going to try to spend it wisely, keeping places that I, I love afloat. And I think it was really nice to, to see that. And obviously, there was some, some difficulty as it grew, because then the messages in that group also started going, you know, rapid pace as well. But I really enjoyed being a part of it. I still check it every now and then. Yeah. It's great. Laura. I'm going to start pulling you into meetings with me, Jason, when I try uh -oh. to explain to other customers or clients why this this type of community mm -hmm. kind of free for all in some ways it really does have power because you let people have their own say in their own way. And Darcy, I wanted to add one thing that I thought was so fascinating about the group was to watch restaurateurs come on and say in their own words, like, here's what's happening. And here's why that was really late. That's here's why it took us 30 minutes to get that done. And I'm so sorry. And that's not normally how we do it, but we, we, three people were sick or, I mean, like just to hear the things you don't normally hear from businesses, because typically I've got, you know, I have a background in marketing. Typically the way you tell stories is how great everything is and how wonderful everything is and aspirational and and you know we're the best and this just isn't a time when like no one's operating at their best at this point um certainly not when everybody was adapting at the beginning and now we're what nine ten months into this we're tired so to hear the truth and the hearts behind these businesses that people maybe had never seen faces of really i think changed the discourse for a lot of folks about seeing it as a business as a family entity as part of our community instead of just a place where they go to get what they want as fast as they want, as perfect as they want. Um, I loved that piece of it. It really did kind of it, it moved the veil, right? Like this became people in our community that run these businesses talking to you about their business. And it, it put a face 
on some of those uh, restaurants and and bars that maybe people didn't know or didn't think about that face that was making all of those decisions. Yeah, and that transparency, I think, is what the community responded to. Um, if an owner came on, and we've seen this, and shared their numbers r r roughly and said, hey, we're really hurting. I'm going to have to lay someone off in a couple of weeks if we don't come up and get our, our revenue up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, people would respond and, and people would go there and eat and, and help them out. Um, you know, someone made a video appeal that went vi locally viral, you know, thousands and thousands of people kept passing this video around and um, her business actually did really well because of that in recent hmm. months. Um, I'm, I'm actually, as, as, we're, as we're interviewing right now, I'm working on a, a cover story for the indie that'll be out uh, December 9th actually. Um, about this, so what we're talking about the state of the industry right now. And so I'm touching base with a lot of the folks um, that I've been keeping tabs on throughout this whole thing. And um, surprisingly, I have been able to find a couple of examples of success stories, hmm. which shows that adaptability and, and what can what can happen in these times if you, if you are able to change and be nimble. Um, but we just saw how strongly the community responded to calls of help, which was really encouraging, um, uh, you know, in a, in a way, we just created this bulletin board and step back. We, we've tried to be as hands off uh, as possible and, you know, let the group work out problems, report <laughs> comments, et cetera. And really, they've been great at self-policing. We haven't had to do too much. Um, and uh, I wanted we wanted them to kind of just run it and let the community guide it. And um, but, you know, we owe them a big thank you for for using the page and making it so successful. And we do know and we've told our our followers a few times that businesses have told us that this kept them alive, hmm. that because of the page, wow. they were able to do X, Y, or Z. Um, at least a few examples that we heard of where people would have gone under had this had this group not supported them and gotten them gotten them going again. And then they got new followers and new customers and, and things went off from there. We never would have expected that. I, I wasn't thinking we were, you know, it, sure, it, it sounds good. Like, oh, let's create this page and help save businesses. But like literally when a business tells you you saved them, you're like, yeah. oh, wow, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I know that um, I, I'm part of the group as well on Facebook, and I have legitimately been introduced to new local places that I've never tried before because of people raving about their experience, posting a picture of the food, talking about what's going on. We implemented over the summer um, a Taco Tuesday at my house and we ordered from the same restaurant every single Tuesday because they had this very delicious taco box um, <laughs> that box. fed my yeah. whole family, an entire box, yeah, yeah. <laughs> pizza, pizza box size full of tacos that fed uh, my whole family. And it was the group, you know, we, I don't know that I would have known that that particular restaurant existed. It's not in my area of normal restaurant going. It's a little outside of my part of Colorado Springs where I spend most of my time, um, but phenomenal, you know, and, and hopefully they're around for us to support for a long time because of that. So uh, it is definitely making a difference. I think what's interesting to me too is early on, for those of you that were part of it early, there were discussions about like, it should only be local, no chains, right? And every time somebody would mention that they'd gone to a chain, some people would come on and be like, no, chains are bad. What's interesting is seeing some of those folks, because we were tracking it pretty closely early on, that were more chain friendly, 
have have branched out and started talking about local restaurants. Hmm. And so I think what's really, or, or local, I mean, chains are locally owned often. I just need to point that out yeah. and employ local people. They employ but... local people. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We don't want I them mean, to close down and like have to fire 75 people either. Like, <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. We, we went back and forth for a minute trying to decide, should we limit this to local business only? Um, which often, honestly, at the independent, I do that. We, in my coverage at the Indy, it's very local focused. Um, our chain coverage is very, very minimal. And it's usually only around the most hyped things. For example, mm. in and out just arriving and that whole fiasco with, you know, 14 hour waits to get a, yeah. a burger. Um, you can't not cover that. It's just, it's too, it's too big. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll dabble with those occasionally, but we're so hyper independent focused, but on this page, uh, like Lauren was saying, we recognize that a lot of the chains employ a lot of local people. Um, some of them are franchises owned by local um, couples as well. Um, it keeps, you know, though some money leaves the community, a lot of the money still stays here. Hmm. So when we're talking about looking at the financials of, and, you know, this where we are with the pandemic, all jobs matter right now. And I think keeping every single one of them is important. So we decided to like let the chains stay on the page. We weren't going to bounce those off there. Um, and yeah. So that's sort of how we lightly policed when we had to. And that cross-pollination is what's so interesting. I mean, people are trying, like people are trying restaurants they would have never tried before. I mean, there've been people that have tried ethnic restaurants that they would mm. never have tried before because they've seen pictures and they've seen people that look like and sound like them talking about these restaurants. And so it suddenly becomes less scary or different or whatever. And it's more a community-based thing. So it's just, it's really interesting to see that kind of dynamic interaction, which you can't, I, mean, I always tell clients you can't make something go viral you can't make something work but there are elements of dynamic creativity individual interaction that make things more likely to be um uh going more likely to be work i mean i don't know how to yeah. say it like just to have more things happening um, did you just say marketing wasn't a magic bullet <laughs> 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 I, I, mm, this is where I get in trouble, Darcy. This is the thing I'm not supposed to say because I, I'm very adamant that, um, especially right now, your, your spend is probably not best allocated to marketing. It's best yeah. allocated to um, keeping your people employed and um, telling your stories to the community directly. I mean, Matthew mentioned that video. I, a business owner reached out for help. I said, look, I listened to the story and I said, turn the camera on yourself and tell your audience you need them to market for you. Yeah. That, that this that you do not have time right now as you learn to pivot and to, to, to figure out how to stay alive right now. This is one activity you do not need to be doing right now. And people will do it for you if you ask them. Mm -hmm. And that's the video we talked about. I mean, it was like 12,000 views in less than 24 hours, which isn't like, that's not a typical video review return. View return. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, this is what I've done. I've done marketing for most of my career. And I'm, that's why when you ask about community advocacy, I'm like, this is where it's at. Human mm. connection, getting people together, telling true stories, um, and and just having hearts for each other. Not everybody's going to be your customer. Not everybody's going to be um, is going to be your advocate. But but empowering those who are and telling mm. them what you need. Like we are, we are truly in this together. Because if we don't come together, these things won't be here after this. Um, there's no way around that. So we have to make choices about what we're going to support, and people are. What have you guys been seeing as far as where the industry is right now? Like you, you alluded to this a little bit, Matt, at the beginning that some places are, are 
temporarily closing with no distinguished reopen date, but kind of what are you seeing overall? How are people, what position are people in right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, I have a friend who's going to work today for a meeting full well expecting to get laid off again um, because it's just that bad. So I think a lot of the places we've only seen so far a handful that have posted about permanent, not permanent closure, but at least temporary closure with no reopening date announced. So some are deciding just to stop the bleeding and just close the door. They can't keep X amount of employees um, paid with such minimal sales with only to go and and delivery or pickup or whatever. Um, it's just not their model. They've never been known for it. They don't have the clientele that regularly thinks of them for to go. So they're just gonna, it looks like they're saying our best move is to shutter for now. Um, sure, they're gonna lose some money on, you know, sitting there paying for rent and other other fixed costs like utilities that for that month, let's say, or longer. Um, but maybe that loss is way less than the loss of trying to keep, you know, five or 10 people on the clock working for not enough orders to pay everybody. So that might make sense for some to shutter and wait and wait it out and see if they can make it. Um, I, my, my, I suspect at this point that the majority will try to do what they did in March and, and try to pivot and adapt and hope for, hope that all these people that usually come in to eat will still come get their food and understand that, okay, we can't dine on site except for these patios. Um, and that's only gonna fit a few people at a time. Um, I was talking to some restaurateurs. I mean, putting up one of those little tent structures on your on your patio, it's a $15,000 investment and hmm. there's not gonna be a return on investment for that for a long time. And that's just more money you don't have right now you're supposed to put out to build a structure outside. And if you've seen the memes, I mean, these structures, it's like, so I'm dining inside, outside, inside, you know, like everyone's joking. It's like, what's the difference? You know, mm. we may as well leave the front doors and back doors and windows open and get a breeze through the, the space you already occupy and call it outside. I mean, it's, these, these tents are kind of silly, um, but uh, you know, I think the majority will try to move to to-go delivery. Maybe some of them are gonna go to self-delivery to save the, the 30% charges from Uber and uh, or Uber Eats and um, Grubhub and all those. Um, and then they're gonna just hang on as long as they can and try to keep as many people employed. But what I, what we've seen over the last six months, seven months is most people, even if they kept their job, they lost shifts. Even if they kept shifts, they lost hours. There's reduced hours, they're closing earlier, things like that. So um, people aren't getting their full wages they used to get. They're, they're, nothing's really robust for the majority of these places. But several owners told me they, if they can just break even, if they can just keep people employed, if they can just have a place for people to come and work, then they can do that for a while. They can last at break even for at least several more months. Um, you know, maybe maybe a few of them have enough savings to do that, but the majority don't. Their margins are always always thin. Um, a lot of people get into this and have heavy debt right up front for equipment and all those costs. So that's why what you were saying. You know, one in uh, you know the, the numbers about how many might close. That's that's scary, and we understand why um, because just how tough this industry is. Um, so I, I suspect we'll see a bunch of them attempt to keep it going. And then we'll just see a slow trickle of closures in the coming months, probably. And we'll have to find out if our market is any more resilient than, you know, Denver or LA or New York or Chicago, anywhere. I mean, all these cities have different um, aspects going on. But like Lauren was saying, like our communities responded to so many other things in a strong way. I think the more people continue to put out the word and say, hey, like, go out to eat tonight go pick up something, have it delivered, spend money with these restaurants, keep them going. Because if we can keep them alive, they'll be here in another six months or a year when we when everything rebounds. 
Um, but if we don't, you know, speaking of chain stuff, who's going to come up and buy up that real estate when it gets vacant? Who has mm. the money to come in and swoop in and pick up all these great spots where our locals couldn't make it? Probably more chain stuff. <laughs> That's just a guess, but we don't want to see that. If we want to see our community actually have a, a unique face to it, and um, then we want individual places that you can't just go to other cities and find them. You know, we don't need more Starbucks and Chipotle, even though those have their time and place <laughs> for all of us. When, but uh, we want more local independent shops, one of a kind, of, you know, with their own unique flavor and personality you're never gonna find anywhere else. And that's what makes travel interesting is when you can travel to new places and try all their cuisines and things that you don't have back home. But, you know, the day that all the strip malls look the same, what's the point of a food tour or travel, you know? It's like, you can get that anywhere, it's boring. So it, as the, the industry starts changing and it starts evolving and we're trying to rally support is there a difference on, you know, who deserves support and who doesn't deserve support? Or does everyone deserve support because they've got a small business label? Any mm -hmm. thoughts on that? I, I think that's a great question. And I think it comes down to individual preference, right? Um, I'm not going to tell somebody you can or can't go to this place or you should or shouldn't go to this place. Like that's going to come down to um, people's personal values and what they want where they want to spend their money especially I mean look everybody's feeling it for the most part right now it's been a long time that we've been living under this pandemic and so sometimes you're just going to want that comfort food hit <laughs> that you know is terrible for you and you don't care and you're going to go get it anyway and that's and that's self-care right so um I, I think wanna, that those, hmm? I want to interject something very small here before you keep going if you're looking for a comfort food hit I'm going to tell you to get the nachos from Colorado craft they are phenomenal and they will make life better so I am allowed to say that you guys are being a little more neutral I'm allowed to say that sorry Lauren go ahead that's okay I think that's great right that's and that's what I like about the page too is people advocating right they're like this is where you've got to go for a burger this is where you've got to go for nachos um, and for the most part, they're pretty friendly conversations and people aren't <laughs> ugly. Um, so I think that it's hard to, to say, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. I think um, from an economic perspective, it's Matt's exactly right. I mean, we know what will happen if our small family owned local businesses go under. Um, that is where a chain is going to step in and, and, and get the real estate or a larger restaurant group or something, even if it's regional. So that, that's just a practical reality of what will happen if we don't keep supporting our small locals. I, I think from an emotional perspective too, um, I looked at it early on as an economic thing. We, we need this for a diversity in our city, for tourism, for all of these things. I hadn't really thought about it for me business owner's perspective, but as I started to see more and more of these businesses as faces, these are family, a lot of these are family owned businesses, and this is what supports the family. And um, I, I really cannot imagine what it must feel like right now to go into the holiday season and, and watch your livelihood being falling apart because of things that are totally beyond your control. I don't have any idea and I, I, we haven't seen stories like this yet. So I don't know. I don't know how many restaurant families Christmases are going to look very different this year because of just trying to keep the business open instead. And this, this is what most business owners do. I, I own a small business myself. You feed the business first <laughs> before you feed yourself. And you, if you have employees, you tend to feed them first before you feed yourself. Um, so 
I obviously have a bias that when I am picking a place, I am looking for a small family owned. I'm a single mom. I want to support those single mom owned restaurants. Like even more, you see people that are supporting businesses by um, black owned or indigenous owned businesses, because those are, um, they're not, they're not as dominant. You don't see them as often. You don't hear about them as much. And they are, people don't always even know why that's important. So that's my bias is to support those folks. But, um, you know, anything that's being poured into our restaurant industry is still is better than nothing. Um, so keep supporting everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, speaking of that, I mentioned in and out earlier, but one of our um, more successful posts recently, we saw a lot of traffic around was um, basically people were saying, you know, in and out has this line, you know, 10 hours long, whatever, go support our local burger places. And they started commenting in a thread of all the lo local burger places. So I was able to collate that. And, and I did a blog post on the Indy partly from that. And I, I looked elsewhere on other social media, but basically I put together a list of all the local burger places that people were promoting as a response to in and out having, you know, a 10 hour wait list the, the, the day they open. And again, like in and out has its place. It'll be here. Sure. Certainly it's not going anywhere. Um, but on that early hype, why would you wait in line for 10 hours when you could run down the street and get a great, awesome burger at one of a dozen other places and keep, you know, support those places that could use that bump right now. So that's how sort of the group, um, and people, group members are the ones who basically were offering that commentary and people were, some people were just, you know, bad mouthing in and out and saying, you know, nasty things about Californians. And we're like, okay, maybe we got to remove that comment. But it was cool to see the group basically step up and like I said, they self-police really well, but they also are pretty good advocates and people will be pretty opinionated and say like, Hey, this is BS. Like don't support this ridiculous chain opening, go spend money here. And like, we don't even, I don't have to say it. It's not my job to say it. Like I'm, we just sort of quietly sit back and watch that happen. And um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I don't, we don't, we didn't want to get into picking winners um, and, and promote Like our job isn't to promote one over the other. That's the job of the people in the group. So I, you know, I just, I think of us as the architects of the page, we created it, we gave it its little vision and mission statement, and then it, everyone else actually does the work. So we watch the group members do that and they, they are opinionated, they champion what they want and what they like. Um, and I champion places I eat at though. I always want to post about Bingo Burger because I love that. Place. <laughs> <Totally>. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's cool. It's like some of them will, like you said, like your your commentary on the nachos, like if you, <laughs> you saying that at the right time is going to make 10 people go do that because they're like, oh man, I really want that right now. I've never <laughs> had the nachos from Colorado Crafts. Oh my God, they're so good. <laughs> it's just that easy to like start a little trend, a little mini trend for the day. I mean, that's how some of these businesses were saved. Uh, because they don't have to do the kind of volume that a chain does. That's the thing that's really important to know is that it, it doesn't require huge numbers of people. It requires, you know, just a couple a day or, you know, a um, couple hundred a week. And that that is change that we can make, that we can advocate for. Um, and we can keep uh, these restaurants open by helping out. I have a couple stats I'll throw in here uh, back to that uh, restaurant association report. Um, and based on kind of what we're seeing right now, that consumer spending in restaurants uh, is well below average. In August, sales were down 34% on average. 60% uh, of restaurant operators say their total operational costs as a percent of sales are higher than they were 
prior to COVID, which makes sense. You know, it costs a lot more of your what you're taking in to run your business. All these restrictions cost as well. Uh, and then in a recent consumer survey, 56% of adults said they're aware of a restaurant in their community that has permanently closed during the pandemic. So that's a lot of people that can identify those small places that are shuttered, already shuttered. Yeah, there was... Um... I'm not going to quote this exactly, but I think I saw a few days ago the Colorado Restaurant Association specifically had done a survey also, and um, it was related to this upcoming um, shutdown again. Uh, and I think they said something like 60% of business owners, if we go back into a, a on-site shutdown, would consider closing permanently within two months or something, mm -hmm. or thought they would have to. Uh, and again, that, that's not an exact number. I, I, I'm, I don't have the study in front of me, but it was something like that. That was pretty ugly that, that within a month or two, a, a bunch could fail or a bunch could just decide to walk away because it's become too difficult and, and not viable. And they're, they've just bled too much. They got to get out. So um, that's what's really concerning. And, and, and just the weeks ahead of us right now, um, I think if we had a happy surprise, if cases don't spike after Thanksgiving as predicted by all the epidemiologists and all the, you know, what we're hearing, if we, for some reason, don't have that happen and, and, and cases can come down enough to allow even back to 25% or 50% capacity, I think places will have a better shot. But um, I think the restaurants had proven that you could, you can limp along even at half capacity. Um, it was viable, but with, with no on-site, that becomes extremely difficult. One of the restaurants, uh, for people I interviewed, they're a bar, they're a pub, and you know when you most of their sales revolve around um, alcohol sales. It used to be you know 60, 40 alcohol to food. Um, that's flipped recently because of the limited on-site capacity, but also um, you know for various reasons. But right now, what's happening with their business is sure they can do to-go food all day long, but that was only a, a, a fraction of their business. Like they don't have people inside in seats sitting there having pints with friends and having another round and another round while they play trivia or whatever. Um, that, that that ability to have like the, the the drinker who will stay for a few hours and actually, you know, create that revenue, that's gone with without on site. So the whole nature of a pub, of a gathering place is it's pointless. You know, they, they've just lost their meaning. They've lost their actual community value when you can't go there. Um, and so it's just the model for them is backwards now. So how are they supposed to survive long-term in this new world if they're only allowed to do to-go food and they're not thought of as a to-go food place? You know, you, it's just that's, you can see where for them, it's like all doom and gloom. Like how can this possibly work? Um, so really it's just about how long that we're in this, what do we code red as of today? So when we come out of the red and back to a better color shade, hopefully um, maybe, they'll bounce back. But again, will they be here to bounce back? That's the question. So not, no spoilers for the article, but as you are seeing these restaurants that have somewhat survived, if not broken even, is there anything else that they're doing that's in common with each other? Gosh, um, I think, so I think having everyone by now should have adapted to some form of, of smart to go and delivery that is like a guarantee. I mean, you have to have figured that out by now. Um, you know, changed your systems a little bit, make, make sure you have the, the right to go where and enough of it. Um, but that included the family meal kits. I mean, I, I think family meals is another thing. A lot of them jumped into making their food in larger portions for you to bring home and, and heat up yourself. Um, in the early days, I remember 
Uh, some of the places were having trouble getting a hold of that equipment, much like the PPE situation. It was like, man, who has these aluminum half pans? Like, where can I get to go ramekins this size for my soup, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think there was a scramble for the, the equipment itself at one point. But um, I think like the commonality right now, I think is just that you've got to, you've got to have figured out a, a smooth um, delivery mechanism. Um, the ones who chose to do self-delivery, and that's been rare, they all ran into some of the same problems early on. Like, well, how do I deal with insurance? And now there's a, a fleet of vehicles and the insurance on those. And then the liability of my staff who used to be a waiter on site turns into this delivery person. Like, what, what are all the repercussions of all that? And, and trying to get quotes for insurance agents on the fly to, to do that. So that was tricky. Um, but um, I think like, the ones who've adapted and prepared for this, like so many people were thinking ahead, like, oh man, we could have another shutdown. And as long as they were thinking that way and building forward with that in mind, they will probably be at an advantage right now as we readapt to the, the cessation of on-site dining. I think the ones who maybe got up too optimistic and, and, and got lax and just decided, oh, you know, business is sort of rebounded. We're, we've got butts and seats, they're drinking, this is great. If they got lax and they didn't plan ahead, that could be a real surprise this week again, where they're like, oh no, not this again. Um, so I just think it, it, it's basically just like what tools are left in the toolbox and how are we going to use them? And it's basically, here we are, we're back to like getting your food sent home with people or delivered to them or, or good curbside service. So the folks who are really, um, immune susceptible, who don't want to have any interaction whatsoever, they're only going to go to the curbside places who do really good curbside. Um, and we noticed that on the page too, people were commenting on those, those aspects, but that's the slippery slope where we did kind of create a rule and, and stick to it, which was early on, we said, this page, this culinary distancing page is about, you know, food and drink, like razor sharp focus. We don't want to get into mask policies and the politics of what the governor did this time and that time and blaming some, you know, political party or whatever. Like, we just need to keep the focus on the food and drink. We don't want to argue with each other about well, I went somewhere and they didn't have gloves on and I wasn't comfortable, so I left. It's like, okay, well, that's an opinion that's your personal subjective level of comfort. Um, so I don't want the page to devolve into gloves and masks and fighting. And, you know, we've had to remove some comments where we've basically just said, keep it positive. Like this page is about promoting food and drink in a positive way. It's something I don't do at the indie. I can't be a super booster at the indie. I can do this, all, we could do this on the page though. We could just set some rules and stick to them. But um, on this page, we just said, no, we're not gonna, bash restaurants like because one person went and had a bad experience i wasn't there to verify that i don't know if that experience is true in a worst case scenario what if this person was just trying to shut out the competition or something like we don't know <laughs> and i don't want to see businesses closed based on our page because one person posted and said oh i went and the the, the bartender sneezed and i was horrified and then the food <laughs> wasn't good and you know eight thousand people on our almost eight thousand people on our page could see that and be like whoa man i'm not going there it's like, I don't want to see a place torpedoed over basically at that point, what's a rumor to me that I haven't verified. So we've kept it positive. We we take those comments down. We just say, look, like Lauren was saying earlier, if you have an experience like that, do we, we said call the manager, call the people on privately, message them and say, hey, I came in today and this is my experience. I want you guys to know because this is a problem and you know, I'm, I'm not going to put it on social media and give you guys a chance to fix it, but um, we don't want people just torpedoing businesses just like that. 
Yeah, I think that's an, another thing that's been interesting, right? Even the community came up with early on their own, their what they wanted restaurants to do. This is before there was guidance issued by the state. What they wanted restaurants to do and what they would promise restaurants they would do if they encountered a problem and talked to the manager was one of the first, like one of the things that was crowdsourced as a way of helping restaurants that don't go straight to social media, give them a chance to cure it before you complain about it. Um, and so it was interesting to watch the community develop its own guidelines about how they were going to support restaurants. Um, and I haven't seen Matthew's article, but I would say another thing, Jason, that I've seen from restaurants that seem to be doing a great job is that they are connecting, the ones that, that spent time connecting with their customers and with the community and who have maintained that kind of conversation, that kind of relationship, who do talk about the things that they're doing and um, have tried some new things based on requests of customers. I'm thinking right now of Thai Lily doing these desserts, these Thai desserts that they didn't used to do, I don't think. Um, and then there have been new ones each week or and some of them have stuck around because they've proved more popular. Um, seeing restaurants do things like um, do-it-yourself kits um, for kiddos, cookie, cupcake decorating kits, make your own pizza kits, s'mores kits. I mean, I, I don't even know it all. I've seen a handful of them. Um, just things that kept that relationship going and will keep the relationship going through the winter months. Um, I think that you're gonna see those types of restaurants be it, be successful because they're just still staying connected to people. And that I'm not, I'm not, that is not easy right now. I mean, there's just, who has one more hour in their day to do that? But the, the restaurants that are taking time to do it, I think are definitely seeing the results of that. Well, this is, I wanted to ask you guys this, as you've been tracking this both what ha what are some of the examples of innovation that you feel like are inspiring and changing? And what what do you guys see that you hope would stick? Like I, I know for me, I really hope we continue to allow to be uh, allowed to take alcohol. I should be able to go alcohol forever. I think it's brilliant. I think, you know, from the business side, yes, take the price point. I will pay a lot of money for that margarita. Like just, it's yeah. fine. Like I'm going to take it. You can't put that back in the bag. I mean, if you try <laughs> to put that back in the bag, there should be riots in the streets. Like, come right. on, like, you know, we've proven now that we can do it responsibly. <laughs> right. Like Look you would think in the back in the day, they would have been like, oh, we can't have people driving around with a cocktail like on their console. And you're like, well, you know, we we put they put the little tape over the top. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, you don't open it to get home. It's solely responsible. Like you can drive beer home from the liquor store and you don't drink it. Like, why would you drink the cocktail on the way home? So, yeah, yeah to go alcohol, that has to stay. That's got to that's like the greatest innovation ever. I think what? family style meals, that's okay. one, family style meals because uh, we've even seen people say like, you know, when you order as a family and you have to like, everybody has to make their decision on the 18 billion choices and right. then you go back and forth and well, will that one, do we need to order the same one? Or can we order different things? So being able to order one thing for your whole family um, makes life easier for especially the, busy families. And the meal kits, if the ones who are doing the meal kit, uh, so some of them are doing, you know, dry goods that you take home and, and make it there versus like a, a ready-made lasagna or whatever. So I think the meal kits were cool. Um, that was another thing that would be nice to see stick around just because if they can make money on it, if that, that can be in their arsenal, um, if it's just side revenue, but if it's just available at places, if it's not too much work for them, um, I think that's a cool thing to do, especially during during this time with, with the shutdown, that's, that could be more critical than it will be. We saw over the summer, a lot of places who had instituted certain things, let them kind of fall back mm -hmm. off. Like they, they did family meals for like, let's say April and May, 
And then in June, they sort of tapered them off and now they're bringing them back again. So um, some of these things might just be having them ready, have your staff trained, have your have the menus built and ready to go. So if you need them, you can just launch them on a weekend as a special or something. Um, what was your first part of that question, it's Darcy? I'm sorry. Yeah, well, I just was saying, what are the innovative things you've seen that are exciting? And then what do we hope will stick around long I, after this? One of my favorite, I don't even know if this is an innovation, and I say this with an experience, uh, background in qualitative um, and quantitative research. Mm -hmm. I love when the restaurants are asking their customers what they want. Like, mm. hey, if we did this, would you buy it? Or what flavor of this thing would you like to see from us? And having that dynamic back and forth between the customers, it creates interaction, but it also gives them free market research, right? Mm -hmm. Like instead of having to launch a new product or a line without any um, notion of whether it's gonna work or not, they can just straight up ask. And um, we've seen certain things like uh, different types of meals or different types of um, desserts or whatever being crowdsourced. And that some of them I think will stick around on different restaurant menus based on just ask, I mean, just asking people, what, what do you want to see from us? <laughs> yeah, I think the um, maybe our favorite example, and, and I actually did write about this in the end because it was so, it, it jumped off the page and I and I ended up adapting it, but the pretzel guy, Mark Anthony Pretzels is mm -hmm. like the best story. It's so heartwarming. Um, and he he was wholesale. He would, he'd sold his pretzels to places like Phantom Canyon, Beast and Brews, a um, handful of others. And so the only place you would formally know this guy is pretzels is, having it at Phantom, but you didn't know it as a Mark Anthony pretzel, you thought it was just Phantom Canyon pretzels because most people don't ask like, where was this made? Or do you bake this in house or whatever? So he was quiet behind the scenes as a wholesaler, but then this happened and all the restaurants, his orders dried up. He didn't have any wholesale orders suddenly. So he pivoted to retail and all of a sudden just posted it on his pages um, that he's gonna make bags of pretzels. And I think it was something like 10 bucks for 12 delivered to your house or something. I mean, it was ridiculous. It was so cheap. <laughs> and it, it hit our page and went bananas. Like people yeah. went crazy for the pretzels and, you know, comment after comment after comment. And then you see another post the next day. And the next day, everyone who'd get it would be like, I finally had the pretzels everyone's been talking about. They're so good. And well, we got I the think, beer cheese. I and think like, the thing that really jumped out was that people were sort of frustrated with the ordering process and even the delivery process and we're still raving about it right mm -hmm. so like there was a little bit of like it's hard to get an order and it's hard to like this is really yeah. really early on and i'm like when that happens when people are like there were still some hiccups in the process but and it's so it's still worth the best. it <laughs> yeah. i mean that's what was that's what happened though is the the owner started doing self-delivery just driving around baking some pretzels and running around himself like he, he just overnight did this like he it was that kind of like survival adaptation like they're he was going to go under or he could just start making pretzels and selling retail and he did and then it went viral and his business blew up and he's one of the examples of someone who who told us that that, that our that I, it's not the page saved him it's our supporters the, the people, people on the page people. did this great thing and supported this guy so you know the the the, the credit goes to all the, the people on the page who've responded to this and shared it um but uh he 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 adapted and he, he changed the face of his business to the point where he probably, you know, he can wholesale again in the future, but I think he'll always have a retail aspect now based on what happened in this example. And then the the postscript, and this is sadly enough, when he started retailing out of his space, um, the city did a bunch of 2C work around it. And so apparently the roads were all torn, torn up and people couldn't get to the building. And like, you know, it's like first you make it through the pandemic, you, you change your business, you you adapt and then all of a sudden you run into something like road construction you're like what the hell <laughs> like how did this next 2020 sucks <laughs> yeah yeah so he's actually apparently needed help again i think he put out the call like hey 
I've had a really bad month because this construction, we could use some more orders. So that's the example again of how they're I using think the page had lines to... outside once you put the call out to the community to help, you know. Yeah. So that uh, transparency, just calling for help when you need it. And apparently the people on our page, the, the, the group members are so awesome, they respond. They they will go out of their way to go up and buy a pretzel that day to help him if he asked for it, instead of staying at home and eating a sandwich or going somewhere else and just sort of picking a random burger. Um, they'll target their their dollars that day to the people who need it. So, And I'm pretty sure that he's one of the businesses that did invest on in making sure that he can continue to have a, a conversation with his customers. Um, by investing in more of like his own social media and things like that. Um, so I think that does make a difference because I think his his messages are going out on multiple channels now and people are tuned into his own channels at this point. And you never even think to ask, you know, Phantom Canyon, where did you single, you know, single origin your pretzels? <laughs> but now that he has a presence, you know, how do you go back? So yeah. I hope he does continue to do both. Yeah, he's, he's, um, He's, like I said, one of our favorite examples of what we've seen on the page. Plus, he's um, just cool. If you meet him, he's cool. Order pretzels so you can meet him. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jason, have you seen any innovative ideas or things you hope stick um, from these pivots? Yeah, I, I think in addition to family meals, I really like some of the frozen aspects. So I've gotten frozen dim sum from the Yellow Mountain Tea House. That was really cool because I, oh, wow. I wanted to try the dim sum there forever and they weren't having it. And I, I picked up a couple of teas there as I was like, I'm consuming a, a lot of coffee. Let me just kind of space it out with tea. <laughs> and then they started offering their dim sum frozen. So it was kind of fun to experiment with that. And a couple other places were doing that too, where they would sell, you know, obviously up the take and bake pizza method to getting like really, really good food. And I like that for those. So you could have something when you had groceries, but when you didn't feel like cooking and you didn't feel like driving, cause we're on the East side. So we had to drive like, you know, cross state lines in order to get something really good. <laughs> it feels like it's not true, but so having frozen things that were, were really elevated, really good food that you felt comparable was a great, great, uh, blessing to our family to be able to have that when, uh, regular uh, cereal got boring yeah i, didn't know I like Yellow mountain did you did you find that on the page or that's one you found yourself they posted it on the page and then i started oh, wow. then they started communicating just like lauren's talking about they started communicating saying hey what do you want what can we do here's what we have here's what we <laughs> cool. can offer here's what we can offer would you be of interest and i was like yes and so the the cool. first or second day they offered it i was there nice. picking it up I think there was a point, and I'm not sure that this is actually sustainable from a business point of view, but I loved it as a consumer. There was a point that Streetcar and Sparrowhawk partnered. Yeah, they teamed up. Yeah. yeah. So you could like get cocktails and keep the glassware. I yeah. love those double walled glasses so yeah. much that I contacted Sparrowhawk after and was like, how do I get more of these? Like, <laughs> yeah. like with or without cocktails, I want this glassware. <laughs> like, yeah. I keep putting it out on my social media. I'm like, I bought this and like early yeah. pandemic. I love it. Everybody should buy one for, we love it. Know, drink these things. We even, we accidentally, we got two cocktails that time. We actually um, accidentally broke one of the glasses and I immediately was like, no contact Sparrowhawk. <laughs> like we have got to replace this. We love it. But that the just the thinking of it, you know, at that point, it was really early on. We as a family are trying really hard to support local doing everything we can and to see two local organizations come together. So you can support us both and drink. We're like, yeah, no, we're in <laughs> like that. Yeah. That seemed like a great idea to us. And it was a rock and cocktail, right? The it was frozen, a great cocktail. old fashioned. Oh my oh, that God. Was 
Yeah. 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 Awesome. I like what you're just saying. Like support us both. It's like it's like volunteerism with dessert afterwards. Like you get yeah. to do this thing that in your heart you're trying to help a business and people in your community and like it's all good stuff and the benefit is like you are but you're getting something in return for that this isn't just a a donation to indie give that goes to you know a nonprofit, which is great which is fantastic but you're also again this is like getting that oh yeah but also i had this killer drink and i get to keep the glass and i supported the business you know like it's a win-win so um we're going to be spending money to eat regardless why not direct that money to somewhere good that needs a little boost and um i mean to your earlier question too again like we don't want to pick favorites like ideally somehow this would all just get spread out everyone will get a little bit everyone will get mm -hmm. just enough to from the to survive yeah and like you know because as much as we're eating out we're spending less at the grocery store that week if we eat out a bunch right and yet we need mountain mamas and those places to still stay open and have their groceries sold so we'll be doing a little bit of everything you know you shop here for a little bit you shop here for a little bit you order take out these two nights that week you budget for that so it's just kind of like just even spreading out which the marketplace seems to take care of based on you know you're eating in your neighborhood or you don't want to you don't want to drive way out east or way west if you're if it's cold that night and you don't feel like being out you're just gonna eat somewhere near you so some of this will will take place naturally in the marketplace based on location and other factors but isn't it nice though when we can direct people to a certain spot at a certain moment if the business puts a call out for help um, like, you know, it's sort of like this group exists to kind of just <laughs> swoop in and like put out a quick fire and then run over here, put out this other fire. So, um, and that's one element of the group. And the collaboration among the restaurateurs too has been really interesting. Like, to, hmm. you know, to your point, Darcy, that was a retail store with a restaurant, but, you know, Red Gravy said early on, we're not going to do, we're not going to do brunch. We, we can have dinner and the restaurants around us that just do brunch breakfast type things need that revenue. So we're going to, we're not going to do this one right now. Um, we've seen, we've seen restaurateurs pop on and recommend other restaurants. Mm. Um, when somebody's looking for something, they'll be like, you got to go try so-and-so's place out because it's awesome. So that kind of, that sense of an ecosystem of where we're, we do need all of these different things to survive. We've seen them at various points in time, different restaurants were looking at, um, delivery drivers together collectively, but that insurance problem becomes an issue. I mean, there's, you know, that's one of those things where like, we can get to policy. I know you guys talk about policy a lot on this show, Darcy, that our legislators could really help us out mm -hmm. um, when things like this happen and find those barriers to entry that don't allow businesses to pivot in a situation like this that are really not necessary to go alcohol is a huge one. That was like a lifeline to many of our restaurants and bars. And it was so easy it didn't change anything in our society it wasn't it was not an important rule at all it, in any yeah. way um and so certain i don't i mean insurance has different reasons so i'm not an expert on any of that stuff but but when our restaurants are trying to be innovative and they're running into these barriers that's where um again collectively we can say to our legislators can you help us out here and let our businesses do these things because they're really trying um and and they just can't because of this thing that's in the way I think there's a element that to that too. You mentioned red gravy. My family just got our first family meal from red gravy recently. It was phenomenal. Again, I'm allowed to say that I will pull them out of oh, the I'll say line. <laughs> pull them out of the line and say it like their family meal went really, really well for us. It was great for our family. Um, but Eric, uh, the head chef owner over there also is doing something different where he's giving meals to hospital workers, frontline workers. You can yeah. donate to do meals. He's taking a portion of the proceeds and making sure that the people on the front lines have access to food, right? 
when they're working. Yeah. I forget what it's called. Meals yeah, to heal. Meals that yeah, heal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was trying to yeah scale that up and get other municipalities to adopt it and really go big with that. Um, because it was keeping commercial kitchens open and operating at the same time feeding frontline responders. So like, I mean, another collective win, win, win when people support stuff like that. Well, and I saw it when we did our order from them for delivery, it was right there on the page. Like, do you want to add, you know, here's this part you can donate and help get these meals out. And also here's the menu to go ahead and, and order from us. And they were very, like you said, transparent. They, they were pivoting to their own delivery drivers um, away from kind of, like you said, that Grubhub model or whatever, pivoting to their own delivery drivers. And they just said right out, please be a little bit patient with us. We're pivoting to our own delivery drivers. Thank you for supporting us. Here's your menu. <laughs> like here's yeah. your, here are your options. And, and, you know, I felt really good about that. We had a situation where I won't call out the restaurant um, earlier in the summer. It took literal hours for our delivery to come through multiple, many, many much hours. <laughs> and, yeah. and we, you know, they were hard to get a hold of. And it was, it was a really hard situation. And, you know, we're sitting there saying, we want to support you, take our money. Just eventually I'll eat my lunch for dinner. Like it's fine. Like just, just yeah. whenever it is possible for you to get the meal here, we will take the meal. And, and, and we even tried to get a hold of them to say, can we come pick it up? Is that the issue? Is the delivery the issue? We can come pick it up instead. What does this look like? Um, yeah. And I feel for the restaurants and everyone else. We, we've been focused on restaurants, but breweries are going through a lot. The brewing industry is a big part of our city and our state. They're having to deal with things like shutdowns and pivots and people not being able to sit in the restaurant. And maybe they didn't have a canning line ready to go when all this happened. You couldn't get their stuff, you know, uh, to take home right away. And they had to figure that out. So we, we have been focusing on restaurants, but they're not the only ones that are suffering. And I feel for all of them as you get to those challenges and, you know, they're running behind or they're running late or someone gets sick. Uh, Jeff and I mentioned uh, in a couple shows ago that what I'm starting to see is more restaurants stepping forward and saying, we have to close for a few days. Someone just tested positive. We have to close for a few days. Someone just tested positive. And that's just a whole nother challenge. Yeah. The repeated quarantines have been, those have been brutal for everybody. I mean, I, We've yes, yeah, several places um, have yeah, they're down for two, three, four days at a time, or they'll be open later in the week, and and some employees come back, and then other ones rotate out, and um, it's a major problem. Everyone's trying to be do the do right by the guidelines and be safe, um, but when you can't keep people like uh, fully you know staffed appropriately in those regards, um, that's a, that is very tricky for them to navigate. Well, and now it's become it's it's funny right like how many how far we've come from the start of this pandemic of these things are now normal right we're, we're used now we're used to seeing a restaurant say i'm going to be closed for two or three days but i think if i remember correctly i think odyssey gastropub was the first restaurant i remember seeing post that mm -hmm. and I, I remember at the time just being like that is so brave like mm. they didn't have to there were no guidelines in place about what you were or weren't supposed to tell your customers at that point in time um i don't even know if there are clear ones at this point um and so seeing seeing our, our local restaurant bar community do the right thing for everybody else too, when it might not be easy or um, or, or scary to be the first, I, and I'm not sure they were the first, but they were the first I noticed to do it. And I just remember thinking from a marketing comms perspective, 
that's exactly what you should do, but that's a really scary, hard thing to do. And I was glad to see the community kind of rally and be like, great, I'm totally coming in as soon as this opens up. Thank you for keeping us safe. Um, But now it's kind of become the norm. We're we're more used to it now. Yeah, that's (laughs) one other innovation that's come about that I noticed um, on the health side. Uh, Wobbly Olive was an example. Sean over there has been really thoughtful about how to uh, be just beyond safe. I did an article about that too. And I mean, he installed hand sinks in the dining room so the customers would see hmm. waiters and the bussers and stuff washing their hands between everything just to create that sense of confidence and consumer confidence. Um, but um, they, he actually too, like, it's almost like zone defense and football or something. He created like uh, some, some zones, so to speak, but also the same employees would work um, the same shifts each week. So there'd be like, oh, like a pod. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so like if, if someone got sick, we know we can isolate this, this pod or this zone and have the other one come in behind it a couple of days later after all the appropriate cleaning and downtime. Um, so if those people are stuck quarantining, at least we have this, this crew going. So even that thoughtfulness to, to um, when you're writing the schedule to put the same people together so that you can, if necessary, close down in that way, um, you know, versus other restaurants might just be sort of willy-nilly giving shifts out like normal. They wouldn't be able to take that extra measure to, with confidence, say this group can go self-quarantine, but we know this group is, is, ostensibly safer because they didn't work together with that group, you know? So there's little things like that too, that you can do on the back end on the health side. Um, you know, a lot of restaurants are doing all the guidelines, but they're doing extra cleaning measures. They put in air filters or scrubbers, or they're doing the certain spraying, et cetera. So um, those are things that have become a new adaptation as well. If you're taking those measures and if you're communicating that to your clientele and saying, this is what we do to keep you safe, then that's, that's been smart for a lot of businesses. Um, and they, they want to create that confidence and have the people who are on the fence about going out to eat feel better about going there. Um, and that the food is, you know, being handled by people who are really taking it seriously. Um, that, that's something that's important to be doing right now is just taking it seriously and communicating that to your clientele. I know. I appreciate that. And those, when they make those little changes, I mean, that matters a lot. I mean, I don't know, Darcy, have you noticed that when people really take it seriously, even if you're going to pick up stuff or. Oh yeah, I, I was actually as as Matt was talking, I was thinking about something as simple as the used pens, clean pens <laughs> when you're going yeah. to sign your credit card slip. Like just that you're paying attention, you know, and that I, who knows how effective that actually is. But as the consumer walking in to see that you're taking that level of caution, you know, just helps me think through you're probably taking additional levels of caution. Um, I'll throw one other stat and fact out there. On average, restaurant operators say their current staffing levels are about 71% of what they would typically be in the absence of COVID. I actually expected it to be lower. Um, that comes that's a national average though. And one thing that we alluded to earlier is that different areas around the country are responding differently um, and they're having different uh, experiences in all of this. Uh, my family has some really good friends that live up in some Colorado mountain towns and they're actually telling us that they had like the biggest summer they've ever had in over 10 years of running their uh, organizations, most of them breweries, um, because they were able to pivot they were able to get stuff into liquor stores you know takeaway was a really big deal and they were given these opportunities cities supported them really well um, where they're at and so the 71 percent is an average across the united states but there are definitely areas where staffing levels are much lower than that as well yeah 
Um, anything else behind the scenes or anything, uh, Lauren and Matt, that you kind of wish people would know or take into consideration as we're thinking about our our especially local restaurants, breweries, coffee shops, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, you just mentioned coffee shops. That was on my mind, too. I mean, it's all the different sectors. So with coffee, for example, so many people are working at home. They aren't commuting, so they aren't stopping at that drive through kiosk to get coffee. So a lot of those people are hurting because they're not getting their regular traffic in that example. So even if you look at the coffee industry, it could be as simple as going by the local roasteries and buying a bag of beans retail to make it home. Um, if they can't get your business on the way to work for that latte, they, you can, they can get your business for that bag of beans that you take home and have for the week. So that's another way that they their revenues might be down on the front house, but on the roastery side, the revenues are up to make up for it. Uh, so that's a way to support a roaster specifically. But then you've got your the drive-through kiosks. So maybe it's just making that stop through if you're out running errands or, or getting groceries or doing the essential things. Um, if you've got the disposable income, if you've got the time, if you have, if you're craving a coffee drink, go get one <laughs> because you know they could use that boost in that industry. Um, so yeah, I, I guess just thinking of all of it, like you said, the breweries and like getting a crowler to take home so you can get a couple of pints to have that night for dinner. Um, so go to do, go to one of our different local breweries and if you haven't had red legs crawler get one that get one there go get one from metric go get one from service go get one from you know phantom like you know think about mixing it up and supporting different breweries if you're a beer person so that you're spending your money again widely with all of them um and then you know we've got our distilleries we've got our um the bars who are serving the some of those local products and you know obviously with the bars it's just the good to go cocktails or to go items um, and the distilleries, you know, maybe it's buying their, if you are at the liquor store and you, you need ingredients, if, if there's the local bottle of whiskey, the better option than the, the mass market. So you can keep those dollars in our community too. Um, so yeah, it's just sort of thoughtfulness across all the different sectors of, of food and drink. Um, and each one has their niche markets and their niche challenges that are unique to that business. So we can't just talk restaurants and bars broadly and have everyone be on the same page. Um, everyone's story is just a little different or a little more unique. And, and my, as I'm researching for this article, you know, some of the people I'm talking to, maybe it's one, someone who owns just a single entity that's been long standing in the community, but others might have two or three locations and maybe one of them was brand new and open during the pandemic. So mm -hmm. this is a challenge because they haven't built their clientele base yet over here, but they have a solid base over there. So every story is unique. I mean, you could probably go out and interview every single business in town over a long enough period of time and find that almost all the stories had some element that was unique. You know, there's gonna be so much of it shared, the shared experience of all this, but um, just the little nuances that make each business unique um, is it's fascinating. And um, that's where I'm having to put my blinders on. I can't tell all those stories, I can't get it all. So I'm trying to do a broad brushstroke cross section, but. Um, you know, the OCD part of my brain is annoyed that I can't know all of it right now. Mm -hmm. I wish I could talk to everybody and, and tell everyone's stories because it's, it's, um, they're, they're very moving. There's a lot of emotion. So if you own a local business, just email Matt and tell him your story. That'll help I was just going to piggyback on that. Like, <laughs> yeah. to, you know, what I want people to know, Darcy, is exactly what you just said. Mm. Uh, tell your own stories and, and tell the stories of the businesses that you love. Mm. And you can do that in person, face, well, actually not in person anymore, Zoom, face-to-face, <laughs> -face, we can do it through social media. That that those 
there, there's these movements to thank our first responders, right? And, mm -hmm. and there's a reason for that. But 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 our small businesses really are our backbone of our community too. Mm -hmm. And they are operating, I mean, they are operating to a heightened risk to themselves and that, you know, because they're they're facing the public more often than those of us that are completely isolated and and aren't going out there as often. So so a thank you note or a, a thank you post or a hey, you know what, I'm thinking about that amazing piece of high I had at this place and I can't wait till I go back. Um, you know, for those of you that are looking for something at the last minute, gift card or whatever. I mean, just something that puts the word out there about um, those businesses that we love, that we want to keep supporting. Because I mean, we just we, how many have we mentioned on that? I haven't been to Col uh, Colorado Craft for the Nachos. And mm -hmm. um, there are various things that I now know about that are on my radar simply because of this conversation. So the more that we can do that, it doesn't, that actually doesn't cost anything for any of us to take that time and say, cannot wait to go back to this place. Or um, I will be buying gift cards from here, you know, whatever it is that we're doing to just talk about it um, talk about that support. Yeah, there was a lot of rough stories about people trying to go from one to two locations, especially from Springs to Monument, putting a lot more on the line when rather than a bigger business. I mean, Lee Spirits, r, &R Cafe. I mean, so get your gin get your coffee beans because that is really mm -hmm. tough to have those align right with the beginning of the pandemic. Very, very devastating because there's a lot of overhead there that that's even more, more hard to recover from. Yeah. Yeah. And r, &R had to close that monument location. They, they tried to expand. They had invested a lot to get over there and everything was at the time it was a great idea and, and everything made sense. And then all this happened and all of a sudden it was like an immediate retraction it just had there was no way to keep that going so mm -hmm. um that was one especially hard hit business um i actually did talk to him for my story so you'll, you'll see some of that in there too um but yeah i mean in terms of one thing people could do um and i don't try to i don't think lauren and i try to promote the page in the sense this is again just a community action for us we were not making any money on it it's, we have no personal stake in this to succeed other than it helping the community but you know anyone on the on the group invite other friends to it that's all i mean if we can if we can get this group bigger it's more people to see these posts and more people to spend ostensibly go spend money at a place that's put out a call for help or just again spread that money around um so i mean we one thing folks who are a member of the group already can do is just check out their friend list see who's not already part of it and invite five or ten friends and, and get this group bigger again we have no ego in that it's just about a bigger group of people to respond and to share this information around. So that'd be one cool thing to see is let's just get this bigger. Um, hopefully there's other things, other groups and other uh, things out there in the community that are doing their own thing, whether it's on Nextdoor or other platforms, I'm sure there's information passing around, but um, I can't control all those. What we can do is keep promoting this page in, in this way. So um, just share it. That's the best thing folks can do for, for, for what we're doing is just share the word and, and push more people into it so we can get a bigger pool. Well, I thank you guys so much for coming on the show and talking about what's going on of what you've seen. Um, I know there's so many other stories and things that you guys have witnessed that we could share, but I do encourage everybody to either connect with color culinary distancing, right? Culinary distancing yeah. on Facebook um, and post there. Send great reviews to the places that you're supporting. Let them know what a good job they're doing to keep them going. Um, and then I think what uh, Jeff and I'll do is we'll come back uh, on another show and we'll talk specifics about 
uh, stimulus money. I know there's been some information coming out for the restaurants about a cut in the sales tax they have to pay, but is it really going to be enough? <laughs> what does that look like? Um, so we'll do a show for y'all that dives into that policy side, uh, what decisions are being made and how these restaurants may or may not be supported by those decisions. But for now, uh, this is your your chance to make that difference uh, when you are able to spend money to choose somewhere uh, to spend your money that could really help them out. And I do want to mention, I loved what you were saying, Matt. Sometimes it feels a little bit hopeless in that I can only order that meal for my family when my family budget allows, you know, and everybody's in kind of a weird spot when it comes to what work looks like, what pay looks like. We're all navigating something differently. And it feels like to really understand that that one meal does make a difference because it's added to someone else that decided to purchase that one meal or go grab that bag of coffee or go grab that six pack or those crowlers from that local place. It's added up. And that addition is what's keeping some of these places going. And so when we can do that, you know, take heart that it is making a difference. Um, I, I wish that I could walk into some places and be like, Hey, I just paid your, all your employees for the month. Here's a big check, <laughs> you know, but <laughs> for now, what I can do is order some family meals and cocktails to go. So <laughs> that's, that's what different we, type of business with the dollars, right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, take it, take it. Take, the, take my money. Um, so thank you guys for being on the show. Thanks for starting the group um, and uh, sharing what you've seen with us. And thanks, Jason, for uh, being my co-host today. Oh, you're welcome, Jeff. I kept your digital seat warm. <laughs> thanks for listening to the little london show uh, jeff and i will be back with more shows so make sure you subscribe and we will talk to you soon the little london show is a production of little london media produced by producer daniel research by researcher tim and your hosts are jeff and darcy Recorded at RND Studios located in downtown Colorado Springs, Colorado. Get more information and links at littlelondonshow.com. Little London Show.